This is a show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week, we'll bring you diverse and unique topics that are guaranteed to stir your fascination. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. This is Richard Solomon. If you suffer from clutter, and, and believe me, I myself included, a lot of people I know, our guest this week, Amanda Sullivan, is going to help us tackle the issue of clutter. And we're surrounded by it. There's digital clutter, there's paper clutter, there's physical object clutter. And she's the author of a great book. The book is called Organized Enough, The Anti-Perfectionist Guide to Getting and Staying Organized. And what I like it is the title, Organized Enough. Not You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to you know, um, have the, 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 the shredding van come and just shove everything out the door and it's all gone and you know you're sitting there all empty and sad that everything's gone (laughs) (laughs) because because we're all attached we're i'm sure i'm sure a lot of this is we're emotional attachment um why do we hold on to everything what well there's a lot of different i mean there's different reasons there's emotional attachment and that could be about things that remind you of something in the past or clothes that somebody gave you, or a certain idea you have of yourself. But then there's also fear. So a lot of times the fear comes in with paper, like I'm not sure if I need it. I'm not sure if I need the receipt from five years ago or ten years ago. So sometimes the fear has to do with a lack of education, um, or sometimes it's financial insecurity, like somebody might be making really a lot of money now, but they have this fear that the bottom's going to drop out, so then they hold on to things that really should be garbage because they've already replaced them. You know, so there's all different reasons and it's all, you know, there's all different emotions that make people hold on. Nostalgia, fear, all, you know. Legal all compliance. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the fear covers the legal compliance. Uh, I'm not sure legal compliance itself is an emotion, but, you know. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of different, a lot of different strands and sometimes people can have one strand going on about one thing and another one going on about another thing, you know. Well, I'll give you a great story that's personal to me. But right. It kind of kind of encapsulates the problem, so we can kind of go into it. I get a letter in the mail that says, "You know, the Rhode Island uh, Bridge Authority overcharged you." So if so, they knew that. So if you have the receipts from like ten years ago, <laughs> we'll give you an eighty cent refund on on each trip. Now, apparently, I actually saved all of my receipts. And, and it gave me tremendous satisfaction to produce it because I had it scanned. Right. However, if you think about my hourly rate and the value of my time and what I was right. diverted away from, yeah. to get that dollar sixty was not right. necessarily exactly. worth it. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, I, you know, I had a similar thing happen where I, I really impressed some uh, New York policemen because my bike got stolen. And they said, well, you don't have the receipt, do you? And I ran into my apartment and re- reappeared in front of the building with my receipt from five years before, you know, in 30 seconds. And they were like, wow. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. A lot of times the little stuff, I mean, if you have a habit, a lot of my book is about how to develop habits. So if, you know, your receipt was a tax deduction because it was transportation for your work and you had a habit of a way that you scan them in a, you know, a regular way, then it's efficient. But sometimes people want to sort of jump through hoops to do these things that they think are the right way to do it. And I say, really? Is it really that important? Because look at the amount of money that we're talking about and and is it really worth it and do you really need it? You know, so I, I always kind of ask them the questions and sometimes they do. And then we try and figure what's the most efficient way to do it that you can get in a routine and keep it consistent. Let me ask you a really good question okay. about scanning and, and, and titling because okay. I've noticed that like, let's say I have a case that comes in and I'll, I'll call it something to start. Right. Smith file, NYC waterboard. Right, 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 right. 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 But then it, 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 the name changes because I understand the case a lot more. And then right, I, right, right. so how do you do naming conventions and things like that? Because I think that's also part of, uh, the problem because yeah. you, you, you that's file it one way, but then you remember it right. another way and then you can't find it even though you actually right. saved it. Right. You have to really decide what that name is going to be. And it's almost like you have to have a system. You know, it's always the name of the, you know, lead person or whatever first. And that, you know, whatever it is, you have to decide. And sometimes you might have to go back and relabel a few things. You know, because maybe, like you say, a month into the case, you realize, 
and maybe you just go back and relabel some of these things because otherwise it's going to be worse nightmare afterwards. But I do tell people, and for most people, you know, you're a lawyer, that's a particular huge amount of, of uh, paper. But for a lot of people, just thinking about it ahead of time, how am I going to label this? And I always say, put the name of whatever it is first, then the date. You know, because the dates are the same, whichever client or whatever it is. So you don't really want to do it by date. You really want the name first and then the date in most cases. But it's really important to have that consistent because people think, oh, it's so great to scan. Well, it's not so great to scan if you're going to – because in my system, eventually everything goes. You know, everything – every piece of paper that comes into your house or every document has a shelf life, right, if it's about – something that's happening next week at your kid's school, its shelf life is a week. If it's a tax document, its shelf life might be seven years, but eventually it's going to go. And so if you're talking about digital files, if they're eventually going to go and you have to open each one of them, that's actually more time-consuming than just looking at papers. So I want you to just be able to look at the whole file and say, you know what, that's 15 years old, it can go or whatever it is. So I really like people to label it so that they can delete it quickly without opening each document at a certain point in time. You seem to have an incredible passion for all of this organization. How did you, (laughs) how did you find the path? You know, I'm sure there was some trial and error, but, but what led you on this direction? Uh, Well, I mean, my career path was I sometimes I speak at my kids' school for career day and I draw this picture and I say, you know, some people think when they grow up they want to be a doctor and they do well in math and science and then they go to college and do pre med and then they go to medical school and then they're a doctor. I said, It wasn't like that for me and then I draw this big squiggle on the chalkboard. <laughs> so, you know, I was an actor, then I got a master's in gender politics, you know, so I did a lot of different things. But I'll tell you a funnier story. Uh when I had my business about four or five years, one day the phone rang and this woman said, is this Amanda Sullivan who went to and she named my high school? I said, yeah. And she said, well, this is, and she said her name. And she said, somebody gave me your number as an organizer and I knew it had to be you because you used to organize our lockers before Mrs. Finn's locker inspections in eighth grade. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, all of that acting and the master's degree, it was all just a big red herring. I was always meant to do this. I was getting paid in eighth grade because we had this crazy teacher who would dump your desk if it was messy and tear everything out of your... So people used to pay me and I used to love it, organizing their lockers and desks. Yep. That's amazing. Now, I actually went to military school. And what was amazing back then was the logic and organization that just flowed. There was a time for everything. There was a place for everything. It was a minimalist existence because you only needed so much stuff. There really wasn't a lot of paper. And it was just just truly perfect. Now, fast forward all these years to – you know, law firm, radio show, (laughs) you know, and all this other stuff. And all day long, you're inundated. There's the the post office, the FedEx, the the processor for all kinds of stuff, just flying all over the place. Emails one after another, because everybody has to have your email because there's special offers and this and that. And before you know it, you need to get more space in your, you know, email account. Right. Um, and uh, look, I, well, I mean, what I really like to tell people, one thing is to chunk your time. So I hate, and I think everybody has ADD now. I feel like iPhones are ADD. And everybody's getting pulled from the pinging of their phone to an email coming in to the phone's ringing. And I tell people, you know, sit down at your desk in the morning and first do the hardest thing. Do the thing that you have to write or the thing that's really going to take some thought when you're clear. And don't answer anything. For that chunk of time. And, you know, maybe you want to do emails first and then do the, the hard thing. But really say, I'm just going to do emails for this half hour. I'm just going to, you know, and don't constantly respond to those texts. You know, people don't die when you don't respond to the <laughs> text right away. I've, I've tried it. I've been doing it myself. Nobody's died. Nobody's even stopped speaking to me. So, you know, it's okay to let a text swing in the wind. And sometimes I find with emails in particular when it's a chain, it's so much more efficient to wait until everybody else has said, I can't do this day, I can't do that day, I can't do the other day. And then I can just come in and say, okay, so it sounds like it's Tuesday at 8. Now, what's kind of interesting is I think technology has created digital clutter in the following oh. way. 
when we had the old cameras, you had 36 shots. And that was it, you know, and then you had to take the film out and start over. So you were judicious in the amount of pictures you took. Now you can take 5,000 pictures and it's not necessarily enough. Right. And, and remember the busy signal? (laughs) That was actually really cool because, uh, call waiting is a, is also kind of a way of digital clutter in the sense that you're interrupted. And and I think what you're talking about is the whole gear shifting thing. You know, you're doing one thing and then you're doing another and you're going back and then you're going back. And you're losing your momentum and your focus. And your focus. And it takes time to get your focus back every single one of these things that we do. So, And it's interesting, too, about the photos. I actually spent a huge chunk of time today. And, you know, I've had various systems over the years to deal with my photos. And I don't know, about 10 years ago, I started this thing where when the kids first went to camp in the summer, I would get some, you know, physical pictures from the year. And I would do one order, and I'd put them in an album because I like to have one actual album of each year, you know, just hitting the high points. Because I feel like, oh, all those, you know, it's not as fun. You can't sit on the couch and look at them. It's not the same. But it's gotten harder because of, you know, the phone. It's, it's trickier than it used to be when I would have them in my camera, and then I'd upload them to Shutterfly or whatever. So it's interesting how the technology changes, and you have to keep adapting your systems because for a while I had a pretty great system. Then it got more complicated. You know, so then you're going to have to evolve to the next system. But, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book is about boundaries. And this goes for time, like we're talking about, but also about stuff. Like, what is reasonable? How much time do I spend in a day on Facebook or Twitter? How many clothes fit in my dresser? You know, do I, if I have one dresser and it's full, do I actually need to go buy another or do I just need to eliminate my clothes? You know, so I like the idea of sort of drawing a box around things and saying, okay, that's enough. That's enough clothes. That's as much time as I'm willing to spend on Facebook, and I'm not going to just go there by default every time, you know, I pick up my phone. So I, I like to have some limits. So so in pre-production, there was the following two questions that kind of came up that, okay. I, was at, that I was asked to, to pass along as a question. Okay. So in terms of clothing, there's there's two issues with clothing. Number okay. one, there's the nostalgia clothing, like, oh, wow, that was my jacket for when, when I went to the Guns N' Roses concert in 1987 right. and, and uh, uh, Axl Rose autographed, uh, you know, the right arm, even though it doesn't fit me. Right. And, and the other thing is those were my thin clothes and I know that one day I'll be back in fighting shape and uh, all that stuff will fit me. Right. So how right, do we right. reconcile all of that? Okay, well, if Axl Rose actually signed your jacket sleeve, but you can't prove it. <laughs> but uh, you could, you could, you could frame it in plexiglass and hang it up. But uh, if it's just nostalgia, because oh, I remember, you know, a lot of people have oh, but I remember when I wore that when my child was small. I'm like, well, I assume you didn't go around naked when your child was small. <laughs> you had to wear something. But you know, a lot of these clothes are in pictures from the time. So I'll say to somebody, well, yes, you wore that to your, you know, whatever fancy event, but there are pictures from that event, right? So do you actually need the item? So I think sometimes people can take a picture and that can help them let go of it. Um, And in terms of the thin clothes, I always say, you know, Murphy's Law. If you get rid of uh, the thin clothes, then you'll lose the weight and you'll need them again. So guess what? You just, you know, now now you have to go buy some new clothes because you're thin again. Yay. Good. That was so much cheaper than, you know, than all the different things we've tried to lose weight. So there's that. And, and you know, but again, I'm, I'm very strict with myself. I tease my husband. I say I'm too cheap to gain weight because, you know, <laughs> I don't want to buy any new clothes. But, uh, but I... You know, I think don't have too many because then when they go out of style or you gain weight or all these things, it's not such a big loss. You know, if you sort of have a minimalist wardrobe to start out with, it's not a big deal if you decide, you know what, the eights really aren't fitting anymore. I got to go to the tens because it's not as much as if you're, you know, have a huge, huge wardrobe. So keep it minimalist and you'll be better off all around. How much of this is tied to separation anxiety? In one way or another, I'm going to miss my stuff. I need my stuff. This is important to me. I identify with this. Yeah, and without, I mean, it, I, without it, I'm a little less whole. Right. And But, I mean, I, I sort of specialize in sitting in a room with people and poking holes in their arguments for why they need things. And sometimes it's really funny. Like I had a very 
elegant uh, older woman client who I mentioned in the book, and she had this fabulous huge wardrobe. Uh, but then she had stockings of every single color to go with every single thing. But then once we started really going through them, I said, you know, really, do you need green stockings to go with a green suit? Couldn't you just wear nude or couldn't you just wear, you know? And then when we started going through them, a lot of them, the elastic was shot because they were so old. And so, you know, at the end, we dumped, you know, hundreds of pairs of pantyhose and she sort of committed to she was just going to get, you know, black and nude and see if everything was okay. But people do have these ideas. They have ideas about what's right. And sometimes, you know, the ideas are outdated or the ideas are, you know, left over from their mother and they don't really have to do that. You know, so I, I just like to poke holes in their ideas and make them think about them. And you know what? Sometimes they can't let go or they won't let go or they think they're right. But sometimes they can say, oh, you know, you're right. I didn't think of it that way. How do you deal with the paper flow of an office? Because I've often been told that clutter is the result of indecision. I mean, I think that's true. And some, you know, a lot of times I'm dealing with people in home offices, and a lot of my clients have very creative professions. So there's that executive idea about, oh, you never touch one, a piece of paper more than once. But that's not always true. Sometimes there's something that you know, you're referring back to or it was inspiring to you. But in terms of bills coming in, things needing to be signed off on, you know, contracts you have to read, yes, you, those things should come out and you should deal with them and they should either go to file or go back out. And there's a section that I have um, that works for both businesses and personal, which is pending. That means you took your action but now you're waiting for the results. So it can't be filed or sent off yet because you're waiting for somebody to get back to you or something like that, but the ball's not in your court. So you might have to, you know, keep it, but you don't have to have it in your active to-do pile because you're waiting for something to happen. Um, so there's, but I, I talk in the book about every piece of paper needs to have a path. Like you have to think about where does that go? It comes in, I pay it, I read it, I do whatever I'm going to do, and then where does it go? Does it get filed? Does it get shredded? Does it get scanned? So that you know in your head where it's going to go, and then, like I was saying before, is it going to disappear in a week or six months or ten years? All right, this is Richard Solomon. This show is a co-production of uh, Rocket Green Radio and Small Business Rescue. We are talking to Amanda Sullivan, the author of Organized Enough, the Anti-Perfectionist Guide to Getting and Staying Organized. We need to take a break. Please keep it locked in. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jeff Matson, the Dark Star Orchestra, and you're listening to Richard Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. All right, welcome back, Richard Solomon and Amanda Sullivan, who is our expert on organization. So we're, we're talking about her book, Organized Enough, The Anti-Perfectionist Guide to Getting and Staying Organized. And believe me, um, I'm, I'm having her come by to the office with a limo tomorrow <laughs> and, and eat anything you want and charge anything you want because it'll really, the efficiency will pay for itself. So how did you actually organize your book? Cause if, if you're talking about organization, okay. you must have really given a lot of thought to how you were going to organize the book for all of us, the readers right. to actually absorb it in, in a way that would actually help us. Right. Well, I did, I did have, you know, and I, talked a lot uh, before I pitched the book to my agent about how to do it. But one thing I really wanted to include in my book, because I think it's key, is um, different habits. Because I think that it's one thing to get organized. A lot of people can get organized, but they can't stay organized. And to do that, you have to develop habits. Um, but the other thing that clients have told me over the years, they'll say, oh, you know, you said that thing and it really opened it up for me and all of a sudden I, I got it. And I think to myself, geez, I've been saying that same thing to them for 10 years, but but sometimes it's just a, a slight shift in the way you think that makes you able to get organized. So the first half of my book is seven different ways of thinking so that you can open your mind because you can't really change until you sort of are thinking differently. And then the second half is seven different habits that you can develop in order to stay organized. And it really explains to you how to develop the habits because we have this great new neuroscience now that really explains how you can really only build like a habit a month. 
and to really develop it and how you need like a cue and a reward. Uh, so I really go into the science of that so people can really spend, you know, seven months building these habits. But, you know, not everybody will need every one. And some people might read these seven and think of another one that they need too, and now they'll know how to develop it. So speaking of staying organized, yes. one of the biggest problems that people have is they're sort of organized and they go on vacation. Right. <laughs> right. And then they come back to piles of paper, piles of emails, uh, right. voicemail, and and then all of a sudden um, their traje- trajectory right. has just been, you know, you, you've derailed. Right. Well, it's funny because my second second chapter is called Slow Down, You Move Too Fast because people think that, you know, to get organized we have to move faster. But actually everybody, everybody I know, all my clients, everybody's moving too fast and doing too much. So there's this kind of chaos. But second of all, if you have really worked on habits, you won't have to think as hard. The reason people get stuck is because they have to think about each piece of paper and each thing. And if you really develop these habits and have these pathways in your house for, okay, what do I do with this sweater? What do I do with this piece of paper? You don't have to think as much, and then you can do it faster, you know, because it's not as laborious. So, you know, it's just automatic. Because a lot of times when we get home at night or when we get home from vacation, we're kind of fried. So we don't want to use that executive function part of our brain. We just want to be able to do something sort of manual and routine. So, like watching TV. <laughs> well, or, you know, but if, but if you know where everything goes, you can do that. You can open the mail quickly if you have a system, you know. If you have a system and you know, okay, all of this goes in the shredder, all of this goes in the bills to pay, you know, this goes on my wife's desk. You know, you can do it quickly if you really don't have to think too hard. And another big thing I would say about mail while we're on the topic is try to stem the flow. You know, with email, I make a lot of stuff at a junk so it just doesn't even come. And with mail, I'm constantly, I have this little thing where I rip off the backs of any catalogs that arrive. And someday when I'm procrastinating, I'll call a couple of catalog companies and get them to stop. And, you know, then uh, you always get them back because then you'll, buy something with a credit card somewhere and all of a sudden you're getting another one. But generally I get much less mail than I used to because I've really made the effort to stem the flow. And it also saves trees. Right. So from an environmental point of view, you're doing something that's really important. Right. And it just makes it so much easier because people get daunted. And actually, you know, half the time when I sit down with people and they'll have some huge stack of mail, 85% of it is junk right off the bat. But it just looked daunting. When they did, you know, they were away on vacation and they came back and there was a huge, you know, Bloomingdale's shopping bag of mail that their neighbor collected for them. It seems like, oh my God. But really, so much of it's catalogs and proxies and stuff that, you know, stuff that you don't even look at anyway. So just, you know, try and stem the flow. Get everything, you know, to come to you digitally that you can and, and digitally mark all the stuff as junk. And also, that helps you not buy. Because, you know, I used to get the Garnet Hill catalog, and really it made me want everything in there because I love everything at Garnet Hill, but I don't need anything at Garnet Hill. So I stopped getting the catalog, and now if, you know, my sheets tear, I can go online to Garnet Hill and find it because I know that I love Garnet Hill. But I, you know, if I get the catalog, it's just going to fill me with, with wants that I don't need. So why do that? This goes right nicely into the next question that okay. we had from – pre-production uh, interviews. Okay. Someone wanted to know, what are the strategies to help children, especially young children, become organized in okay. their rooms, in their toys, homework, right. paper, school, camp? Well, I love this. So, you know, I had a label maker. And when my son was young, I labeled all the baskets, you know, like vehicles and action figures and all this stuff, which happened to work really well with Montessori because he went to Montessori school. And, you know, at Montessori school, they label everything, like they'll label the chair, chair, (laughs) table, table, because they believe that seeing the word on the thing, even if you aren't teaching reading, promotes literacy. So I labeled all these baskets. And then I remember one time I just sat down on the couch and he came in, he said, where's Buzz Lightyear? And I said, he's in the action figure basket. A is for action. And I knew that he couldn't read, but I knew he knew his alphabet. And sure enough, he went and he found the basket with the action figure, and he found Buzz Lightyear. So, you know, there's so many reasons. 
But, the you know, the other thing to know is all kids are different. I have three kids, and they all sort of have different relationships to neatness and organization because they're different people. But I think that, you know, labeling things is great. A lot of my clients have a lot of different people in the house. You know, they might have a couple of kids. They might have a babysitter. They might have grandma come sometimes. So I say label the insides of the drawers because if somebody different does laundry, it helps them know where to put the T-shirts and the shorts and whatever if they're labeled. So I'm big one for labeling, especially for kids, and also for weeding. I, you know, my kids put on something and it's too small. I have somebody I give my son's clothes to. I have somebody I give my daughter's clothes to. We put it right in a bag by the front door. We take it the next time we're going to see that person. And then at uh, the holidays and at their birthday, we always do a big weed beforehand. And the truth is they don't weed as much as they receive. But I like planting the idea that you're about to get an influx, so let's do a weed first. That's, that's actually pretty healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are some people just inherently organized and others less so? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, and and I don't say that with any judgment whatsoever. You know, I, I have twins, so my twins are 11 now. And I, it used to be so much easier for my son. He would sit down and he would play with Legos. And then when he was done, he would put the Legos back in the Lego basket. And that was easy. And he is kind of like that. He's kind of orderly and, you know, neat. He likes drawn blue and black pen. But my daughter, on the other hand, when she it would be time for her to clean up when she was little, she would lay down on the floor and sob. Well, of course, because when I looked at what she was playing with, she would have a doll stroller, and in the doll stroller would be my evening bag, and in my evening bag would be a carrot peeler from the kitchen. <laughs> and you know, she would have got, she would have played this whole game all over the house. But now putting things away was going to be really hard because she had gathered from all over. But she's totally creative, so you know, uh, I, you know, I don't judge. But people are just different. They're different how their minds work. They're different. And and I will say that now she's eleven and she really cares how her room looks. So it's now much neater than her brother's because she has, you know, she's into social media and she likes to watch these room makeovers. So anybody can change. But I just think that minds work differently. And, and a lot of my clients are super creative. And there's this wool gathering. You know, they see pretty things. I tease a lot of my clients who are, you know, women in their 60s and 70s that they're like my daughter because they're like, ooh, sparkly, pretty. You know, they go shopping and they see attractive things and they want them. You know, they want to possess them. Uh, but, you know, we can't possess everything. I, I remember listening to some interview where somebody said, you know, we have just tons of houses full of stuff <laughs> and, and it's killing us. Yeah. Uh, what what is what are your tips on storage in the house as far as everything not not just paper but food and clothing and all right so so this goes to boundaries right so when i off typically i'll go to a client and we'll work on a room say it's the bedroom and we'll weed and i'll get everything beautifully fitting in the closet and beautifully fitting in the dresser and then i'll say this much and no more so now if you buy something you have to let go of something so don't buy anything if you're going to have a hard time getting letting go of anything you know so wait till things wear out you know really in my life i'm really in a replacement only mode you know um so when my jeans have holes in them i get new ones but really not until then um so and the same thing in the kitchen we'll go through we'll do a big weed we'll get rid of the you know coconut milk from their flirtation with thai cuisine that has an old expiration date, and then we label the cabinets, you know, like this is baking, this is cans, this is pasta and grains, like that. And then really, and I talk about inventory, right? So you can't have an inventory that's not moving in your kitchen or anywhere. You know, you have to have what fits, like how many sheets do you have? So don't go buy another set of sheet if you already have a backup set for every bed in the house. That's enough. Your inventory is full. You don't need any more. So you have to think of it like it's a business. So so in terms of food, what's the best way to organize your pantry? Because I've read reports that, you know, Americans waste, you know, X percentages uh, of their weekly groceries. Oh, it's terrible. You know, yeah. and, and it's like, and it's, it's everywhere. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's homes, it's restaurants, right. it's, it's right. you know, gymnasiums. No, I, I really hate that. And I really try. I mean, first of all, I live in New York. I have three kids. I have a tiny refrigerator. I have a, you know small kitchen 
so I don't have a lot of room. But I really try, you know, my husband teases me because I'll get down on the floor to put the groceries away, but because I want to put the old yogurts in the back and bring the new yogurts, or, you know, put the new yogurts in the back and bring the old yogurts to the front so that I'm always rotating my inventory. So I'm not going to get stuck with old ones because, you know, we didn't eat them in the proper order. And the same thing, I try, you know, we keep have a whole system where we keep a list and, you know, I know what I get every week, but then I update it and I just try to never overbuy. I never do the thing where I think, oh, you know, I, I go with a plan to the grocery store and I don't say, oh, you know, maybe maybe I should make that and I'm not sure if I have peppers. I know before I go whether or not I have peppers. I know that the the, the people who specialize in sort of dieting and, mm-hmm. and lifestyles changes, you know, say – you know, you should go to the supermarket knowing what your week's menu is going to be right. and then just right. buy that. But um, right. most of us don't really do it. We just buy stuff <laughs> or we no, buy we, things that look interesting and then we right. try to find a home or a purpose for them. Right. No, I'm not. And, I, you know, I really try to be very strict. And, and you know, I typically in a week my husband actually takes the list that I make to the big grocery store and then I'll go to the farmer's market. So there's two different days when we're shopping. Um but I do have a, a weekly menu plan, and I try not to go off. Now, you know, you could switch something around. Like, you know, my son really got sick of chicken, so I switched that for shrimp one day. But I didn't, you know, just go add an extra protein, you know. Uh, so, And also, I really – I talk in the – book about how whole foods, which are healthier, are also more flexible foods. So I say like onions are the black turtleneck of your kitchen, you know, that, you know, black turtleneck goes with everything. Onion you're going to use in everything. So, you know, you're always going to have onions around. Um, but, you know, once you start buying something that's a specialty thing that comes in a box that you're supposed to add water to, that can only be that thing, you know. But rice, you can make it into 15 different kinds of rice. And onions, you can use it in a million things. So I, I think it's more practical to, to be healthier. So what should what should a pantry look like? When you walk into a pantry in, say, the, uh, the average household, what should that pantry look like? Well, in terms of a, a pantry where you have your dry goods, I do organize it by um, by category. So I would have pasta and grains on one shelf and, you know, not too many of any one thing. Um, and, you know, I'd put the most recent at the back coming towards the front. Say you had three boxes of mac and cheese, you know, uh, you're going to have the uh, oldest one in the front so that you're rotating. And then I have my cans in one section, maybe jars in another section. Baking generally is up high because most people don't bake every day. Um, and sometimes there's like a section of, of tea, coffee, hot chocolate, beverage section, you know. Um, so I, I do it like that, and I try to make the stuff that people use the most. So there might be, you know, crackers and snacks and things like that at the easiest shelf because that's the one people are constantly going to. Um, so I, I try and use, you know, logic, but also just to make it easy access. So this is back to your question about storage. I joke that storage is like, you know, Hollywood. It's all about access because I can squirrel things away in anybody's apartment and make them, you know, not visible. But if they can't get to them when they need them, I haven't really done them any good. So I really want storage to always be accessible. Like, you know, if you only use it once a year, okay. If you have to get it on a ladder in the closet, that's okay. But if you're using it constantly and I've chosen a place high in the closet, then you're never, you know, you're never going to put it away because it's too hard. And a lot of times people have a lot of storage, but it's too full, so it's too hard to get into and out of. So they just leave it full, and they end up putting stuff on the desktop or whatever instead of actually putting it away because it's too hard to put it away. So it has to be easy. We only have about two minutes in this segment. But when you walk into a grocery store, Mm -hmm. what do you think generally of the way it's organized? Well, I'll tell you, I go to Fairway, and there was a point where I was really annoyed with that because I actually have a computer list, and I used to do it the way that Fairway was organized, you know, the way I would walk through Fairway. And then they kept changing it for a while, so my list wasn't making any sense. I was having to jump all around because they kept reorganizing. Uh, but, you know, so I do like to make a list that, that literally follows the way I'm going to walk through the store, um, you know, so whether that's vegetables first or whatever, but I try to, you know, have a have a system. 
always have a system. Now, is your system for grocery shopping paper based or like tablet based or I, you know, I, I, I phone or Android based? My personal one is that, you know, I have a piece of scratch paper that I write it on during the week if I use something up, like I used up balsamic vinegar or whatever. And then I go take that to my computer list. Uh, and change it before my husband goes. And I actually print it out for him because he prefers it that way. Now, you could email it. And some of my clients, um, I've set them up with using notes or something similar in their iPhones where they'll have like one grocery store list and one note. And that way, if, you know, their babysitter or their husband stops by that store, they can text them that, that note right then that they've been sort of maintaining in their phone. We are we are talking with Amanda Sullivan. We're getting organized, which is really, really cool. Her book, uh, published by DeCapo Life Books, is called Organized Enough, The Anti-Perfectionist Guide to Getting and Staying Organized. And believe it or not, we are not perfectionists here. So, so we love that. All right. Keep it locked in. We'll be right back. We'll be continuing with our really important and really enlightening discussion with Amanda, who's been generous to be with us today. So keep it locked in. We'll be right back. Hi, this is the Great Sordini. You're listening to Richard Solomon on 88.1 FM WCWP. We are back. This is Richard Solomon. Thank you for so much for being a part of our audience. We are talking with Amanda Sullivan today, who is an, a, a true expert and a really important person to uh, both our business and personal lives because she's an organizational expert. As you probably heard uh, throughout the broadcast case you're coming in now, she wrote a great book. Uh, published by DeCapo Life Books called Organized Enough, the Anti-Perfectionist Guide to Getting and Staying Organized. So we, let's talk about some, some, some dynamics you talk about in the book. Okay. Uh, you talk about something called flow. Okay, so flow. So this is the first chapter of my book, and uh, this is sort of the most important thing. So flow works in two ways. It's a mnemonic device. Forgive yourself. Let stuff go. Organize what's left, weed constantly. That's how you're going to get organized. But it also works as a metaphor because I really like to think of your home or your office like a body. Like if there's blockages, if there's stagnancy, that's bad. Things come in, things go out. When we get cluttered, it's because things are coming in and not enough's going out. So you've got to sort of rebalance. So as much as leaving is, is coming in. And what you realize after you do, you know, the hard work of getting organized is that it's really hard to let go of stuff. So you've got to really work on not bringing so much in. So, and people say, well, forgive yourself. What does that have to do? But I find, and this goes to the subtitle of my book, The Anti-Perfectionist Guide, is that people are so hard on themselves. I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, I'm bad, I'm sick, I don't know what's wrong with me. And these aren't, you know, horrible hoarders. These are sophisticated people who live in Manhattan and have, you know, much nicer apartments than mine. So, but they're just really hard on themselves. And I don't think that works. I say, you know, if beating yourself up with a stick worked, I'd give you a stick. But it doesn't work. It gets in the way. And it, and it's sort of, you know, you're a parent. So there's this idea that you don't ever tell the child they're bad. You tell them the behavior is bad. So when people think I'm bad, I'm just disorganized, no. It's just they have some bad habits. And we can fix habits. If they were truly disorganized, it would be, you know, something that we couldn't fix. But they just have some bad habits that we can fix. How, how much of each day should be dedicated to weeding out? Well, ideally, not very much, because ideally, once you got organized, I mean, until you get organized, it could be as much time as you have to spend on it, you know, whether you said I was going to spend a half an hour or an hour every night. But once you get organized, it should really just be sort of an automatic part of your routine. You know, when my husband and I do our taxes, we have a routine where – the stuff from seven years ago we shred. So it's a whole system, but it takes five minutes, you know, and that's the biggest shred of the year. Um, it takes more than five minutes, but it doesn't, you know, it takes five minutes to know what's going to be shredded. Um, so, you know, you just have to have systems, and once you have systems, like I was saying before about, you know, my kids, they know they put on something too small, leave it on mommy's desk, and, you know, she'll pass it on to the other kids. So there are these systems that uh, just get automatic. I don't spend much time at all. So you really need to understand the organic nature of the flow of things in your own home or business. Right. And, and, then, and when you go through that to make your systems, 
you know, if you go through the book and you make these systems, then, you know, it will be revealed to you and you'll sort of work on where your systems are weak and where you need to improve them. And you really have to go through each area and think it out. Now, you talk also about uh, fresh eyes. Yes. Now, yes. that's probably your role to all of us because you, you, you actually are the fresh eyes because you're the one who says to us, do you really need this, uh, you know, right. um, and you're the right. one who's challenging everybody's right. assumptions. Exactly. And I come in and also sometimes people don't even see it. Like they know it's cluttered and they know they're disorganized, but they don't really see the piles or, you know, sometimes somebody makes the piles and it bothers the other spouse. And so, but I say, you know, there are little tricks you can do. So say you want to get your living room organized. So invite somebody over for dinner because once you are thinking about them coming into your house, and I say, don't invite the friend whose house is worse than yours, but don't invite the most intimidating person you know. Just invite somebody who you like, who seems like a reasonable person, who you'd like to get to know better, and invite them for two weeks from now. And then start looking around your living room, dining room, and thinking, oh, I didn't even know that that pile has been sitting on the sideboard for six months. What is that? Oh, that's the schoolwork from June that we <laughs> dropped here before we went on vacation and then we never touched. And actually, I can throw it all right into the dumpster. You know? <laughs> so, so you know, fresh eyes, just look at look at your space as though, you know, another trick people I've, I've heard before say, look at your house as though you're about to put it on the market. Like, what would you declutter if you're about to show it to a real estate agent? So fresh eyes. All right. Who am I today? Who are you? Who are you? Okay. Who are you now? So who are you? Are you still wearing those clothes? Like sometimes people have clothes that they're attached to from a different part of their life and it's not who they are anymore. You know, if you used to stay at home and you had 85 pairs of jeans because you wore them every day to the playground and now you're going to work in a suit every day, you no longer need 85 pairs of jeans because you only wear them on Saturday and Sunday. So you need to weed them down you know, to maybe four. So you really have to be honest about who you are now uh, when you are going through stuff. What What is the hardest hurdle for people to get over? Is it is it just the getting rid of stuff? Everybody's different. That's what I love about my work. Every single person's different. You know, some people fly through stuff. They have really great executive function. And then some people fly through one area, and then another area is really sticky for them. And some people, every area is sticky, you know. So it's just completely unique. But I think a lot of people are too busy. And, you know, papers are very hard because they have to really think about them. Papers are very slow going because you have to really read them. It's not like a shirt, I hold it up, you like it, you don't like it, maybe you have to try it on. But a paper, you might actually have to read it and think, do I need it legally, blah, blah, blah. More time consuming. What do you do with things like, you know, business cards? I, I go to trade shows all the time. And, you know, the Javits Center, I'll, I'll go to the Fancy Food Show, I'll go to Book right. Expo, and you get inundated with cards, and they're all important. And the cards, at least to me, uh, I'll have interviewed a number of different people, I will have taken different photographs, I have to do the sound editing, I have to right. email them that says, hey, thanks for being on, and here's right. a copy of your segment, and I have to... Uh, consolidate it all and put it into like an hour show. And I have right. uh, Chris Maffei, who's a great editor, does helps me with all of this stuff. Right. But but it's still a lot of digital and paper material. And right. sometimes for me, it's 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 a, a lot to get organized. What's right. what's a good approach to all of that? Well, again, I would say chunking your time. Like if business cards are something that you're actually going to enter into like a database, I would just leave them till they get to be a stack of you know however many, and then sit down for half an hour and knock it out. You know, I don't want you to be distracted by doing, you know, one at a time. And if you go to a trade show, maybe when you get back, you have an hour's worth of entry to do from all those cards and all that stuff that you want to enter. But I don't particularly want you to keep all those business cards. Now, my husband's a very visual person, and he saves business cards. He doesn't enter them in a database. He just saves them, but he's very good at sort of just being able to pick up a stack of business cards in his hand and find the one he's looking for. So that's his system. It works for him. I don't like it. I like to put all information in one database in my computer. But I would say that chunking is an important thing because you, you don't want to constantly be doing, you know, it's that thing about moving from task to task. So so what is your position on the cloud? Because here you have all of this data being scanned and stored 
Is the cloud our friend or is the cloud our enemy? Because it gives us an excuse to just save more in just a different place. Yeah, I kind of think it's our enemy. And I actually wanted to write a play for my kid's school because, as we've discussed, I used to be an actor and I used to do a theater thing at my kid's school. And I wanted to write a modern version of, of you know, the sky is falling, except have it with, you know, the cloud, the digital cloud is falling. And, oh, look, it's Miss Ramos's Spanish test from 1987 <laughs> that just fell on my head out of the cloud, you know. Like, so, I, you know, it's not a good, it doesn't fit with my idea of boundaries, right? The idea is you're supposed to have a limit to how much you save, and then you're going to get rid of it. So yes, I guess the cloud is our friend, but I kind of think it's a it's a slippery slope and I'd rather you just say, Okay, I'm gonna make a flash drive of my photos, you know, once they get so that they're slowing my computer down. I'm gonna put, you know, the last five years on a flash drive and keep it that way. But you know, digital is so tricky because I have people who have all these floppy disks. So what do you do with those now? Was that stuff really important? Can we just pitch it? Or are we gonna have to go find some place to now switch it over to another, you know, another form. So I guess in that way, maybe the cloud is is okay because maybe it's a, always going to be the right form. But I don't even know that because it's constantly technology is changing. So and I kind of hate the idea that it's a huge, endlessly big space. What, what I like about your limits idea mm-hmm. is the fact that more is actually more in terms of expense. Think about it. You know, you need right. more storage. You need more cloud. Right. You need more this. You need more that. Well, that means you have to buy. Yeah, you have to buy more things, right. or you have to rent more things. Right. And one of the things that, that that surprises me to this day is the number of law firms and accounting firms that pay expensive real estate prices, physical right. real estate, right. to essentially store paper. Right. When you think, well, you know, what does it cost? per foot in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And yet you see offices cluttered with boxes stacked all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are people who have uh, storage companies that they use mm-hmm. uh, where the truck comes and it takes right. all the paper out. Right. And, and you think of you know, just all the, the gas, the labor, the storage, oh, the schlepping, the retrieval. Yeah. Uh, now, as a lawyer, I understand that because the court right. system is very non-digital. Right. It's still a very right. manual system. The, right. Right. the New York State courts are very funny. It may be, you know, the 21st century, right. but when you are called, you need to physically hand paper and whether or not it's electronically filed, you actually have right. to hand it. And my favorite is, you know, you go to court and you'll see, I'll go to court with a client, say, and they'll, they'll see, wow, somebody handed us something that looks like 20 Manhattan-sized telephone books of paper. Yeah. Just yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll just say, you see that? Nobody's reading that. Right, 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 <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't care what's in there. I don't care right. how great, how well-researched. Right. Nobody's reading that. But right. but the court system is just clogged with paper. And, and yeah. the accountants, too. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it, you know, you incorporate, you need this, you need that, you need your bank statements. Right. Uh, right. It's just the, the amount. And then when you go to court to, to litigate, uh, literally, I, I'm, I'm doing some discovery responses right now to right. case that I'm doing, and, and I have literally four thousand sheets of of paper that's part of this case, and it's only one right. component of the case. Right, right. It's and then when you throw in appeals and appendixes, it's like right. Well, and and you know, people have a hard time letting go of stuff that represents work. So one thing that I see a lot in people's homes is. You know, they live in New York City and they have these huge packets they put together when they applied for their, you know, co-op board. And so there are these huge, huge, huge packets. But really, the packets are made up of things that they have in other places or that they can access in other ways, like bank statements and W-2s and this and that and the other. And if they ever applied to move to a different apartment, it would have to be recent bank statements. So a lot of that stuff is actually garbage and can be shredded because they gave it, they got in, it's done. And if they go to another one, it's going to have to be new, more current material. But it represents work. And so they remember how heinous it was putting that together. And so they kind of hate to shred it. And they have this fear about shredding it. And I say, well, you know, you can keep the part that's the unique application to that co-op board. But why are you keeping all this stuff that is really just old, you know, old stuff that you have in other places? It's just keeping duplication. But people have a hard time letting go of things that they labored to put together. If, if you were to sit down with a, with a business today, mm-hmm. and without even seeing what was inside, right. what would you ask them 
at the beginning of your meeting with them to assess what's going on. Does every piece of paper have a path? Is there somebody, you know, one thing I think as a feminist, you know, because I have a master's in gender politics, one of the things I think that we have a problem with organization is that we no longer really have secretaries. You know, secretaries used to sort of have systems and have a path and do all of this stuff. And now a lot of times we're doing it ourselves and we're trying to, you know, be lawyers or doctors or whatever, you know, job we have. And we're supposed to manage all this paper ourselves. So we don't really have give it very much thought. Whereas when that's somebody's real job, sometimes they come up with a better system and they have a better idea of where it's going. So I think we give short shrift sometimes to what's the system for for storing? How long do we have to store it? Are we legally bound to store it forever? Or is it good enough to save it for 10 years? And I guess in bigger organizations, when someone leaves the organization, to what extent do you need that person's stuff? (laughs) You know, uh, especially in a creative world, like uh, maybe an advertising company. Like, so what's the answer there? Right. I mean, and that's, you know, that's industry by industry and person by person. And it's tricky. I mean, I guess a lot of people now use these, um, you know, lock boxes and stuff that are for their company. And, uh, you know, I don't even understand all of it. But, yeah, it's a tricky thing. But but I do think everybody's tendency is to just save everything forever. And I think why? You know, I worked with a photographer once and we had gotten rid of a lot of her old work. And uh, then she went to see some retrospective of another photographer, and she said, oh, I feel terrible. We've got rid of all that old stuff. I said, you know, if you become very, very famous, now it'll be worth much more because you have much less. That's an interesting bit. So in the last minute that we have, because I definitely want to yeah. talk about theperfectorder.com. Yeah. Uh, when people die, yeah. and, and it, that's very, tra- very tragic and transitional, right. how do you approach the, 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 the survivors of a tragedy on how to sort of clean out a house? or Right. You know. I've helped a lot with that um, kind of thing. And, of course, it's a great thing for people to do when they're older. Like, it's great for people to downsize as they, as they get older so that they've done some work for their heirs ahead of time. Um, but, you know, again, it's very individual. You know, sometimes all the kids will come and take what they want. Sometimes they'll fight. Sometimes... They don't want anything. And then, you know, it's sort of, okay, can we give this to charity? Can we sell this? Can we, you know, can we get the charity to come pick this up or are we going to have to pay junk luggers? A lot of times there's sort of a, um, you know, you first want to sell things. Second, you know, first people take stuff, then you sell stuff, then you give stuff to charity. And then sometimes you have to pay to have stuff lugged off, unfortunately. Exactly. All right, theperfectdaughter.com. What's that? That's my business. My business is the Perfect Daughter Chaos Control. My website is theperfectdaughter.com, and I am the Perfect Daughter Chaos Control on Facebook. And you can follow me on Twitter at Uptown Amanda. All right, great. And so uh, the, the book is available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and all the, the, all the, the great places. places. Kindle, yes, indie, indie books. Yes, if you prefer to to not do the big big bookstore. So, uh, yeah, it's available all those places. So I hope people will read it and feel free to email me if you have questions or want to discuss it. And what's that email? It's amanda at theperfectdaughter.com. Uh, there you go. So it's on my website, yes. So it's organized enough, the Anti-Perfectionist Guide to Getting and Staying Organized, .capo, D-A-C-A-P-O, Life Books. Um, and uh, I can't thank you enough. I've really learned a lot. I thank really, you. It's my pleasure. I, I really, really think that the information is great out there. Um, and I really recommend everybody out there, you know, start the first thing tomorrow. <laughs> Get, start weeding and organizing That's and getting right. your For, – Forgive your, yourself first. Right. And then, for, then let go. Right. And then and let the flow and, get, and call Amanda because you know what? She's the set of fresh eyes that we all need. That's right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And to all of you out there listening, I wish you a clutter-free week. Thanks for listening. 